Welcome to The Driven Entrepreneur, where we sit down with visionaries, trailblazers, and entrepreneurs and discover why and how they do what they do. We'll get the backstory, plus plenty of life and business lessons along the way. Here's your host, Matt Browning. Hey, welcome back to the show. Welcome back to The Driven Entrepreneur. It's your host, Matt Browning. This week, I hope you're having a good week. I hope you're getting out there and crushing it, doing something amazing in your life, in your business, with your family. Um, do you have enough time? I don't know. Like, do you ever feel like time is slipping through your fingers? Do you ever feel like you wish there was another hour in the day? I have a really interesting guest this week that I want to introduce you to. He's going to become one of my newest best friends, um, McGraw-Hill uh, published author named Stephen Griffith. Stephen, he wrote the book called The Time Cleanse. We're going to talk about time. But this guy, you know... He's a former Chicago Golden Glove boxer, an Illinois State heavyweight champion. Uh, his nickname is, was the Velvet Hammer, which is so great, so great. Um, super compassionate, but no holds barred style. And I'm sure that's gone from the ring into uh, his coaching practice. He's been a keynote speaker and a performance expert on ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, Style, Esquire TV. Um, he's doing a whole media tour for the book in, in Los Angeles right now. He's worked for a variety of organizations, including the Jimmy Kimmel Live, the U.S. Military, Citibank, Wells Fargo, the LAPD, USC, University of Southern California, UCLA, the National Academy of Sports Medicine, the NBA, the MLB, the NFL, and the NHL. You've been around the horn. He's a trusted advisor and coach of successful CEOs, entrepreneurs, executives, uh, Olympic athletes, entertainment professionals, you name it. He's the guy to go to, especially when it comes to claiming your time back. Uh, Steven, man, welcome to the show. So grateful to have you. How are you? Matt, I'm glad to be here, buddy. Dude, this is, uh, I, I got a lot of questions in a short time to do it. So let's jump in, huh? Let's do it. You know, the first thing that, that, that jumps out to me always is, you know, you're, you seem like a, a massive go-getter. You're, you're out there. You're, you know, you're, you're hustling, you're teaching, you're coaching. You got a strong passion. Were you like this as a kid? Like, were you the lemonade stand entrepreneur, like always figuring out something, always doing something? or was this something that a switch switched in you later in life? You know, I think it's a combination of both, Matt. You know, um, I was a, a self-motivated young man. Um, you know, my mom raised me, uh, me and my brother. And, and, you know, it was a little tough growing up. We were on food stamps, housing support. But she always was there for me. Um, didn't miss a meal. Always had my equipment for sports. But sports was the thing that motivated me. But I, I, I was a little bit undersized you know, as an athlete, you know, I was a tall, skinny kid when I graduated from high school, but I always wanted to be successful. And that was the one thing that was driven. And I realized the situation I was in growing up, I had to take control of that. I didn't have a dad around. Um, we didn't have a ton of money. Did you have and so sports, growing up with your mom? Yeah, I, had, I had one, one brother, 10 years younger. Wow. And so, so it was an interesting time for me to like, I didn't really have any male figures guiding me, but I did have my boxing coach. And uh, my boxing coach, Tom Delaney, who I talk about in the book, uh, was one of the greatest gifts for me. He's, he's now passed on, but he took me underneath his wing and really saw my potential, Matt, and saw also how I had that part of me that didn't feel good enough that, you know, I was unsure. And he knew, he knew how to nurture and coach that. How and old were you when you got into boxing? When you found I was I was actually 18. I turned when I turned 18, my mom wouldn't let me box until I turned 18. And uh, he was the first guy that really 
really taught me how to use time. And when I started training Matt, like I was so like, I had so much anger and I was so frustrated in life that I just wanted to spar and I wasn't really focusing on the fundamentals. He pulled me to the side and he said, Stephen, you've got to be present now learning the fundamentals. Otherwise, as he said, you're going to get clocked if you keep watching the clock. <laughs> so um, I took that on early on and I realized when I became present and used time, man, my skills accelerated fast and I had more fun. Do you feel like when, when you're growing up, because I'm just trying to really like get a hold of this picture is you have, you know, let's just say you're 12 years old or somewhere in that range and you got a baby brother who's two years old. You got a mom who's struggling, you know, doing everything she can to sacrifice for you. Did, did you, I'm assuming you would take on a responsible role. You, without really having that male role model, it sounds like you had to be that guy, you know, kind of the man of the house, so to speak. Do you feel like that was something that you, um, you went into naturally because that was the need or was there a push for it? And if, and I might be way off base, but if I'm not, is that something that you ever resented? You know, was it hard for you? And you're like, man, I wish it wasn't like this. It shouldn't be like this. I got to get out of this. Or was it like, you know what, that's my lot in life and let's deal, let's do this and let's do it right. Kind of what was the attitude um, growing up that way. I think that's really Matt, Matt, Matt. great, great, great question. You, you've, you've, you got about seven questions in there and I'm going to answer. <laughs> I love, I love the passion behind it. So the reality is this at 12 years old, I got my first job at 12. I started working at a place called Rosati's pizza. Rosati's pizza now has probably about 40 or 50 locations across the country. It was in the suburbs of Chicago, but at 12, I realized, okay, this is, this is what's going on. And like, if it was genetic, intuitive, I just said, I've got to take control. And first was earning money. Like, you know, at 12 years old, I had money in my pocket. And, you know, I was, you know, walking a mile to, in seventh grade, I was walking a mile to the pizza place. And at one o'clock in the morning, I was walking home. But each time I walked home, I had money in my pocket. And this was the first time in my life where I felt like I had control. The other place where I felt like I had control was through sports and where I had an outlet. And so um, I never had any resentment uh, about it. And, and as I've you know, done my own personal work and look back, you know, I'm actually now very grateful because what I didn't have created what I have now. I, I wonder so often, you know, as an entrepreneur, one of the things I study so much is what's driving us to do what we do. And I wonder like, Certainly, like you said, if you didn't grow up that way, if it wasn't as hard, if it wasn't as tight on money, you wouldn't have probably gone off to say, I got to figure this out. What would you say to someone who didn't grow up that way? Maybe even grew up the opposite. You know, they, maybe they had a successful dad who was always home and made money and whatnot. It's like the next generation. Maybe yes. even you'd say to your own kids, to get them to still be hungry to still be going after something when there's not that same desperation need that drove so many of us and you included. Yeah, I would say two things. A, number one, get connected to what's relevant. Like what's, what's your passion and what are your gifts? Get connected to being relevant with your time and why you want to be here. I mean, we've got the first date when we arrive and we've got the last date when we you know move on and we got that dash in between. And I would say, get connected to what you're passionate about. And secondly, I would say, learn early to be uncomfortable. The more you can learn early to be uncomfortable and put yourself in situations, you know, that just wires the brain for that grit and that passion. 
how would you define time? Because you talked about time a few times. Obviously, your new book coming out is the time yeah. cleanse. How do you what do you even call time? Because there's a lot of ways Absolutely. to approach what time even is. What's your definition? So for me, time is just a measurement from one event to the next. I mean, there, you know, there's a lot of metaphysical connection to time that, you know, we can look at that actually there is really no time. It's all right now. We look at it from a mindfulness perspective, but it's really what you're doing from one moment to the next. And, and for me, doing this work, I developed and, and coined the phrase timefulness. And timefulness is, you know, version of mindfulness, mindfulness of time. And that's being present, aware, and intentional with your time where we have time on our side, where it's a positive relationship, where we're improving that, that quality, the experience, and the performance with time. So it's being connected in the now. What a great, what a great TM there. What a great name, timefulness. Yeah, I just got the trademark on that, actually. <laughs> I was going to ask. That's a, such a I great I just idea. did. Yep. I mean, that's you. So your book is The Time Cleanse, Proven System to Eliminate Waste of Time, Realize Your Full Potential, and Reinvest What Matters Most. What are, I think it would be cool to kind of get into this because you're, again, a guy who's been driven, a guy who's been going after it in life. You've had a strong motivating factor. Was there ever a time in your life that you felt very not in control of time? Uh, you felt like your life was going down the wrong track. Did you have one of those kind of quote unquote come to Jesus moments when you said, I got to, I'm halfway through or I'm a third of the way through and I want to take control of this. Or again, with that growing up in that early childhood rearing, have you always been like, Hey, this is a precious commodity. No, not, not at all. Not at all. I grew up like most people, you know, as a young man, believing um, time is endless, you know, as a young man, uh, believing that, especially in our youth that, you know, we always have tomorrow. The reality is we don't have tomorrow. And for me, my first aha was after my third hamstring tear playing college football. And so I tore my hamstring on three different occasions at three different schools. And I was driven to be a professional athlete. I felt if I did not become a professional athlete, I was absolutely worthless. My self-esteem was so low that the only worth I saw at the time was through sports. And after the third hamstring tear, I rehabbed, I bulked myself up, I changed positions, and I was actually doing really well at a different position. And I woke up one morning and I realized something. I didn't want to play football anymore. And the reason I don't want to play football anymore is my passion was gone. And I, you know, went to a junior college, got a division one scholarship. And I realized that morning while I was laying in bed before practice, that I've been moving up this ladder of success and right then found out the ladder was on the wrong wall. I, I didn't want to fail and I was failing myself and time was passing me by. And how old that are dream, you beginning to think about this? Well, that I was 23 and at 13, I had decided I want to be a professional athlete. So I was 23. I was in like my second uh, senior year because I transferred, took a year off and I was 23. And that was the first time where I said, okay, you can do something else. It was really a big aha for me. And, and when you're talking about 23, having that, that aha, I had like my first big career change aha at 26, you know, same gotcha. kind of a thing. I thought I was, yeah. I got real estate at 18 and thought I would do it the rest of my life. I figured I'm a broker. I'm a, this, I'm an investor. This is who I am. And I feel like, especially when you decide on something, I didn't decide on a dream at 13. I was just, you know, getting in trouble at, at 14, 15 and getting kicked out of high schools and I didn't have a dream. 
when you decide at 13, this is what I'm doing. And at 23, I mean, that's almost half your life you've been living this dream out, right? Chasing this thing. And you thought this was going to be everything. My whole life is going to be, I'm a professional athlete. And you see yourself now realizing you can change something. Did you think at that time at 23, it's like, did you just say like, hey, this is now my new dream. I'm going to be X, whatever that is. Or did you kind of see it more like, you know, that was the season I was in that I thought this is what I want. And maybe for this next season, I'm going to do this. Because I begin at this point in my life looking at life almost seasonally. Like nothing I do is going to be my, the permanent expression of me, right? Yeah. Not, I wish I did. Not at all, Matt. Not at all. <laughs> um, so I continued on. Um, I tried to pursue my, my career as a professional fighter. Ended up having a back surgery about two years later. That was probably the core of the hamstring issues. And then I opened up one of the first training facilities in Los Angeles for junior and elite professional athletes and personal training. So in 1990, I opened up one of the first facilities that worked with professional athletes. And, you know, my undergrad and graduate work was in exercise science. I was a strength coach, worked with, you know, some of the top athletes in the country and here, Lakers, Dodgers. And in that period, again, I had another transition. I had an aha. This is not my final destination. I need to start working with people and the mental and emotional part of performing. I was already doing that outside of the gym. And so in 2000, I opened up my company, High Performance Coaching, and I was at the beginning of personal coaching. And you know, if you remember back then, I no one was doing coaching. I mean, that was at the very forefront of like a personal coach. And so- Well, I remember that, too, just to plug into sports, I remember, so I started coaching like 2005. Okay. And 2002, I'm going to Tony Robbins seminars and yeah. personal development events. And I remember distinctly telling people I knew, oh, I'm a coach. And their first reaction then was, oh, like a basketball coach? Like, what do you mean? Yeah. Everyone yeah. thought it was a sports coach. So they didn't understand life. 10 years later, you say I'm a coach. The first reaction now out of most people's mouths is, oh, do you mean a life coach? Do you mean an yep. executive coach? Oh, my brother-in-law does that. <laughs> yeah. Gotten a lot more popular. Yeah. Exactly. And so, you know, in 2000, when I, you know, my, my, my card said coaching on it, same thing. I'm 6'5", 240. Every time someone saw that. Um, so that was an ongoing <laughs> process. And then about five years ago, what shifted my focus? So we did professional coaching corporately and individually, you know, anything, everyone from entertainment professionals to teams, uh, entrepreneurs. And then five years ago, I saw all my clients having the same roadblock. They use the same words. I don't have enough time. And I realized for me, Matt, I was experiencing the same thing. I was struggling with time. I was under time pressure. And that's when I made a decision to really solve this problem of getting our time back and how to perform with it. And you know, I've got a 10-year background in mindfulness. I traveled to, to Japan and Thailand and, and looked at the ancient wisdom of the monks, neuroscientists, NLP, psychology, all of that. And the conclusion I came to five years ago in this journey is this, is that as our time accelerated with technology, we were using outdated steps, ideas, and psychology to interact with our lives today. And many of those put us in an adversarial relationship with time. Give me an example of something that's outdated. So is it a psychology of how I approach how to schedule with yes. day? Yes. So, the, the, so the, the outdated psychology, and this is why I don't talk about managing time. You cannot manage time. It, I talk about performing with time and being in this timefulness place. So the, the old theory is that we had enough time to get things done. We had an hour. We got as much as we could get done in that time. Then we moved on. Well, the, the pace that our life is coming at, you can't do that today. 
And old time management doesn't address the most important thing, your relationship with time. It's the most important relationship we have. And so most people will give me the excuse, like something like if my schedule allows, if time allows, if time and I allows. ask them, right. I ask this simple question. You're going to love this. Who's time. I ask people all the time. And I asked myself five years ago, this question. And the answer is we are time. So we've created a paradigm to create the biz- the biggest excuse today for not doing, being, and having, and that's, I don't have time. Well, it sounds so like that's you're an- is is you're personifying time very often. We're saying we're almost treating it like a person. Like my boss won't let me off. We're saying exactly. time allows. And what what's your take on too? Like one of the, one of the biggest questions I hear in coaching when it comes to time is, well, I need more time or I can't find enough time. I position that personally, and I'm curious your take and then what you would do in the scenario. I position that as saying that's an unsolvable problem because you're already stating languaging that you're looking for more time, which clearly you cannot find because it doesn't exist in the first place. You, and, if, and the truth is, if you, someone asked me this in an interview an hour ago, they said, what would you do with uh, an extra hour a day? I said, truthfully, I'd probably watch Netflix for one extra hour. That's the reality awesome. of what I would do. My wish is I would be more productive and I would add this extra thing to my life. What would you do? Well, I guess when someone says there, I need more time, What's your kind of reframe or what's your approach to that when someone's stuck in that thinking system? Well, the first thing I do is I have them do a time cleanse and the time cleanse Talk to me is about really, a time cleanse. This is exciting. Yeah. So it's, it's really simple. So you're going to love this. First, identify one to three things you are passionate about having in your life right now, losing 10 pounds, creating your side hustle, creating more time for your family. That's what we start with. What we're committed to, not what we're interested in, not what we're thinking about, what we're committed to having. Step one. Step two, do a full inventory of everywhere you're spending your time and how much. And in the time cleanse, we've got several categories. It could be people. It could be interactions. It could be your technology use. You write it all down and you ask the time cleanse question. Is this contributing or contaminating to my happiness and success? Once you determine what the contaminants are, very simple. Decide if you're just going to keep it, if you're going to change it. So if you're on Facebook an hour a day, you might say, I like Facebook. I'm going to cut it in half. Right there, you save 3.5 hours. And then last choice is you remove it. You reclaim all the hours and then you reinvest in what I call high ROT activities, return on time activities. And you calendar that. All right. So let, let's, what, that, let's actually just repeat that a second because yep. you hit kind of a couple of different steps in a row. I want to make sure we really get that. So the first yep. step is what are the three, you call them outcomes? Are, the, are these so, all like so three choices? Goals? Three choices. Uh, oh, yeah. Let's start with the commitment is you can pick up to three things you're committed to having, three. and that's what you're going to reclaim time for. So they're not necessarily goals or outcomes. It could be spending time with my family, it could be getting yep. in shape, but it doesn't have to be my, I'm committed to weighing 145 pounds by June 13th. It's not a goal. It, it could be. It could be. You're actually are setting goals, but you you have the flexibility of how you want to choose that. I mean, obviously, the more specific it is, the better results you're going to get. So it is goal centric. Love that. And that's where you're really committed, though, to spending your time as you're taking control of it. Correct. And then so and then what, how would you define the second step? What did you call that? So the second step is actually doing an inventory of where you're spending your time. And how much time you're spending doing. So where, what you're doing and how much time. And, and in the time cleanse, we've got seven categories. 
that we get specific in. But, you know, for a mini cleanse or for your listeners, you just basically write down where you're spending your time and how much. Does, where do you put things like, let me actually ask you what's behind this question. I'll ask the question. So I love when I'm doing things like this, the inventories, I find there's some, some uh, activities that you could potentially place in either or category. So where do you put things like sleep and maybe one person is sleeping 11 hours a day and they know they're sleeping three hours too much. Someone else is sleeping the appropriate amount of time. Where does that go? And then the follow-up question, where do things like movies go does it depend on what your outcome is? Am I wasting time binging or am I having a date night, right? Does that matter? Right. How do you put right. those? You know, so, so first of all, we, we in, in my system and in the book, we have basically how the book is set up. It's, it's prepare, process, and perform. So in the process part, this is what we're talking about, the cleanse. So the sleeping part we address in the performance, but we, we inventory our awake hours. Okay. And we're basically looking at... Um, technology, people, places, activities, interactions, uh, thoughts, and emotions. And there's some other micro categories, but we put the category, we write down in the category that it first occurs. Like, so activities, you know, Facebooking could be under technology, but we just categorize it where it first shows up in the cleanse. And once it's on paper, it's really simple, this next step. And this is the, what we're leading to asking the question, is this contributing or contaminating? to what I want. And that's an individual question. And it's related to what am I committed to having? That's so good. You're tying it right back to the outcomes. Because if you just said, I'm committed to having a phenomenal relationship with my spouse, and then you have to look at every single activity and say, does that actually contribute to it? Or contaminate would mean that you're taking away from it. You're not building a better relationship. And it becomes so simple, doesn't it? It's it's so, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with... uh, 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 Marie Kondo's uh, work uh, with her book and her Netflix. Her question is, does it bring me joy? Oh, yeah. Does it spark a joy? Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> it's, very, it's very similar. And the whole key here is that it gets crystal clear, Matt, when you do this. I mean, we know my experience with thousands of engagements now, 95% of the things on that list, we instantly know. Instantly. I'm spending too much time. It shouldn't be in my life. It's not difficult. And the other beautiful part of this inventory, people always realize they're spending more time on things than they realized, but they didn't know it until they wrote it down. Do you recommend when you're doing the time cleanse, do you recommend like keeping a journal or a log throughout a week and then breaking it down? Or is this something you just sit down and go, okay, I've read the book. I read the chapter on, on the, the initial cleanse part. Right. And let me just brainstorm what I think. And the reason I yeah. ask, I think some people are going to, you know, like, like when it comes to weight loss, I used to do a lot of weight loss coaching and I find what people guesstimate they ate last week versus what they journaled they ate are drastically different things. <laughs> Great point. <laughs> so you're going to love this answer. Time is the, of the essence. We're not journaling anything first. We're just going for it because here's what I also realize. If I ask somebody to journal, 50% of people aren't going to do it. We're already behind the eight ball. Do the cleanse first then to get a more calculated specific then journal journal for three days, but so do the never cleanse. Put it off. Never put it yeah. off. Start right. Be, now. Yeah. Because the habit of us, what we're doing with our time, see the unique part of the time cleanse, it allows us to be present and aware and to have this question about, am I doing the right thing in the right way with my time? That's really what we're asking. 
And when we do reclaim that time, and this is the important part, this is how we grow our business, this is how we spend our time. It's important then to calendar it specifically on your calendar, when, with who, how much time, and then hold yourself accountable. I pulled, you know, something from um, the book, um, You Can't Hurt Me. And uh, if you haven't read that or, or seen that one yet, and um, it's with David Goggins. And he suggests you look in the mirror at the end of the day and just ask yourself, did I do what I said I was going to do? And be brutally honest. This is the velvet hammer part of me. Be brutal, brutally honest with compassion for yourself. But if you haven't, make the adjustments, show up the next day with the adjustments and just keep making those small changes, but commit to the calendar. The calendar is the key. So when it comes to calendaring, and this is something that, I mean, I'll be the first to admit that I probably fall short on this. I use the calendar like more than most human beings, but I only seem to use it for things that, and I'm already hearing myself, right? I'm already coaching myself for goodness sakes. Right. Right. But like I use it for things that must quote unquote be scheduled. So our interview today has been on the calendar. Um, If I'm meeting somebody, it's on the calendar, but I find that I don't calendar as much as I know I should. I don't calendar things that aren't time essential, meaning it must be at 4 p.m. And it's sad because time of my wife, it's like, well, we could, we could do it in the afternoon and the evening. It could be at eight o'clock, nine o'clock. It's not a scheduled event, but yet I don't know. Like, I think it should be. Are you a proponent of like everything goes on the calendar? So if I want to go work out, I'm going to put that 4 p.m. on Wednesday. If I want to um, grow and do some personal development, I'm going to put read my personal development book for Thursday at 4 p.m. You know, like, is that what you do with your calendar for every day? Or do certain things land on your schedule and certain things don't? So first of all, it's personality driven and lifestyle driven. So I have a book that I think is probably the most definitive book on getting back your time and performing with it. And with that being said, these are my best, best tools, tips, research-based, science-based. We've got to look at our own personality. For me, about 90% of all my things are calendared. There's 10%, just like you, has some flexibility room, but the things that are most important, they're on that calendar. So if it's spending time with my girlfriend, it's on that calendar. And that's how I can chart, monitor, and I still want flexibility. There's an old saying, um, structure creates spontaneity. No structure creates chaos. Right. And I think I've always, as I grew up, I, I definitely fall in that category of, I, I've always been fearful of being too structured, which means I'll miss out on having freedom. So for years, yes. I would battle against structures. I don't want it. And I've only really in the last several years begun to come around to going, the more structure I can drop in place, the more freedom I have and the more spontaneity I can build because there's something, or the more flexible I can be. Because with no structure, you have nothing to flex from. Yes. But one one thing I want to add here, Matt, that I think I want you and, and your listeners to take away is that there's a bigger message for this book. And what, in in my opinion, what time is actually for. And we haven't touched on it yet, but I'm going to touch on it here. I love it. Time, time for me is come down, comes down to one really basic principle. That's to create memories that matter. And when we create memories that matter, those actually become our legacy. And to be really conscious in that we're spending our time in a relevant way. And relevant for me means that we're connecting to our own gifts and talents. And then we take those gifts and talents and bring it to the collective to make our lives and the lives of others better. 
And a lot of people think about legacy at the end of their life. Our legacy is happening right now in every moment. And it has always been from our first breath. So well said, nothing is more important than the moments and the legacy. Um, Speak to me a little bit about, so I'm a big proponent of magic moments. And I, I did a meme a while back in my Instagram that was talking about, you know, don't spend time with people, but make moments. Mm-hmm. And I look at like my son, right? He's eight years old and I love doing mm-hmm. things with him, but we could spend all day together. And that's not going to be as impactful as that one moment when we were sitting up uh, in the bathroom, putting shaving cream all over our face and he was shaving. <laughs> home, you know? And it's like that moment, like I'll bet you any money, he remembers that and will more than the six hours we hung out on the couch and played around. Yep. What's your, what's your philosophy on, on, on finding moments, even, even when it's a busy day, like how do you, how do you kind of approach that? I suppose. And, or do you have yeah. a, I don't know, any, any thoughts on that? I do. I moments do. It's actually, time. I figured you would. <laughs> yeah. It goes back to the, the whole principle of timefulness and moments get moments are remembered and are created when we're present. Moments do not get remembered and created when we're multitasking, when we're distracted, when we're not engaged right now. And, you know, I have a section in the book talking about what I call mindful multitasking, but it's like asking people not to eat sugar. If you're a nutritionist, probably not going to happen. So I do give tools to mindfully multitask, but the first choice is this, be present. And I, with the executives I work with and the teams I work with, I'll hear a lot of times, well, you know, I'm just at work. It's not a big deal. And, and here's the reality, Matt. We're training ourselves not to be present. We may think we can shut it on and off, but when we're creating the neural connections not to be focused on a regular basis, we will miss matters that, mo- that matter, uh, um, moments that matter, and you can't get them back. And that's just sitting with someone dear to you, like live in person. And I watch it all the time, like that one moment of, we're so trained. And again, I fall in that habit sometimes, but I catch myself to all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's been five seconds. It's been 10 seconds of sitting here. And I just got to quickly look down at the phone or I got to pull it out. It's like, I have this, this need to multitask or distract. And I think, especially in the last 10 years, it's gotten, it's gotten out of a lot of people's controls. So your approach for, I mean, just just the decision is that what it is? The decision to be, yeah, to be it, it is a decision. Mindfulness. Yes, it, for, to be timeful, to be present, aware, and increasing that quality and experience of time. But there's something more to that. You've got to take control of your environment. One of the things that I've been sharing that's in the book as well is how to time cleanse your phone. The thing, if you want to get present, my opinion is taking control of your phone. So I'm going to give you and your listeners three tips to time cleanse your phone that will radically shift your day, your life, and your results. Number one, grayscale the phone. Turn the phone from color to black and white. The reason we do this, it makes the phone less charming. I've had my phone grayscaled for pretty consistently for over a year. If I'm videoing it and and taking pictures, I'll flip it back and forth, but grayscale is number one. Number two, move all your apps to the second screen. Oh, we do that. So when we get to the phone, we're, in, we're, we're not being hoodwinked by, oh, there's that app, there's that app, because the third part is turn all your notifications off, all of them. And here's why. When we do this, 
Now we become timeful with the phone. We're in charge of the phone. The phone is not in charge of us. We've all been in that place where we're like, oh, I'm going to go do something with my phone. We turn it on. Oh, there's a text. Oh, there's an email. Oh, there's a feed. There's a Facebook. And now we're in the rabbit hole and it's an hour later. I, I, I relate so much. Someone told me, I heard the idea of grayscaling. I didn't know that was a thing. Guys, you can go into your settings on your iPhone, Androids, I'm sure too, and yep. turn off the color. And I, I kid you not, um, Stephen, I tried that and I left it for about a month or so. And then I, I figured, ah, I got control of this, but I'm going to turn it back now. Like literally as we're talking, I'm done. I'm doing all three of these things. I'm grayscaling. Awesome. Um, I'm moving the apps. I never thought of that. Because that's what I do. I go on, I go, oh, I need to put that one post because that's part of my mm -hmm. business. That no, should take me sure. five minutes. But then I see another app that has a notification. So I'm turning those off, turn off all notifications. And we're sitting here with Stephen Griffith, uh, former professional boxer, Golden Clubs boxer, uh, and uh, consultant to everyone from the U.S. military to the NBA, uh, Major League Baseball, NFL, you name it. He has helped them with his new book, The Time Cleanse all about timefulness, not time management, but timefulness and about taking back moments that matter. As you can follow Stephen at uh, Facebook at Stephen Griffith Coaching and Instagram is Stephen Griffith Author. Make sure you follow him on Facebook and Instagram. His new book is a McGraw-Hill published book. He's doing a book tour, traveling around the world. He's doing all sorts of TV and media and we're grateful to have him on the show right now. I want to talk real quick, uh, kind of our final moments here, Stephen, and I'll let you get moving with your day. If you go to stephengriffith.com forward slash driven, and we'll have that in the show notes, you have some options to connect with a book, The Time Cleanse. I know you have a free download. You have uh, your top 10 tips to perform with your time. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, and then about this masterclass you have that you, you sure. give when they order the book. Sure. The, the free download is some uh, 10 of my top tips to take control of your time, increase your performance, get some of your time back. That's free, free download. And then the masterclass, is eight videos with a downloadable manual where I take you step-by-step step through the time cleanse process and you get that when you order the time cleanse book. So we can order the time cleanse book right off your website, stephengriffith.com forward slash driven. Make sure you head over to that one and you can get a hold of the book. Uh, I'm guessing it's probably ebook printed, who knows, all different ways. Yes, yes, all of it. Love that. So guys, get get this book, connect with Steven. You certainly, there's also places to connect with him. Like I said, on social, on Facebook and Instagram, grab the book. I'm getting it. I am really looking forward to this. And and coming from a guy you know, that is as accomplished as you are and you've worked with so many people um, that really are top performers and being a top performer yourself, I think it's so important when someone eats their own cooking, so to speak. And I know you live your life with timefulness. I'm excited because... I mean, this is exactly what I needed, to, I needed to hear again. So I'm grateful for your time, my friend. Thank you for being so present with us today. Um, any final thoughts you have? Anything you'd like to share? Any last uh, uh, action I should take and we should take? Sure. Let you go. Sure. Yeah. So Matt, the, the last thing is this, is that you know, this is my final, my, my final thoughts is that it's your time. And I say that frequently. It's your time. You own it. Claim it. Own it invite that positive relationship. And it's your time to make your move right now. And that you can live a life where you're in the flow of time, you're focused, you're motivated, and time's on your side. It's a decision and using these tools and you can have a life that's free of pressure of time.
It's no one else's time but yours. It's time to own it and be timeful. Stephen Griffith, thanks for coming on the show, brother. I sure appreciate it. Matt, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having a great show with great information. As remember, you can follow Stephen Griffith at Stephen Griffith Coaching for Facebook and Stephen Griffith Author on Instagram, stephengriffith.com slash driven to get the free download 10 tips to perform with your time. And when you get the book, which you certainly should, I'm getting it. I can't wait to have it on my shelf. It'll be, you also get that free masterclass where it's an eight part series teaching you on timefulness. Really cool. Make sure you subscribe and rate and review if you haven't already. Um, you should be getting this twice a week, every week on your iTunes, your Spotify streaming, your Stitcher, Google Play, iHeartMedia. Maybe you're listening to this while you're driving through Chicago on uh, either one of our stations. I appreciate you. Get out there as usual and take control of your time and get out there and crush it. Do something great. Talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.